We started a new series about stewardship, and, uh, and we talked about three things. The first one was that God owns everything. Is that right? Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. So if God owns everything, that means we own nothing, right? That all of our relationships, our possessions, our money, our things, even our next breath belongs to him. Amen? We also talked about how then we are then managers, that we're called to protect and manage and care for and cultivate, bring the best out of all the things that God has entrusted to us. And the best way that we can do that is by trusting the owner and following the owner's manual, God's word, right? The worst way we can do that is by taking and having an owner's mentality. If we have an owner's mentality, then we try to impose our own will our own plans, our own way of thinking and doing things towards the things that God has entrusted us to manage. How many of you know that when we do that, we can make a real mess of things? Is that right? Oh, yeah. yeah, some of you can testify about your mess. <laughs> okay, me too. I can too. So our ability to honor God with stewardship really comes down to are you an owner or are you a manager? Are you an owner or are you a manager? And then the last thing is that the master will return, that one day Jesus is coming back to settle accounts. And, and when we stand before Jesus, how many of you want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant? Amen. Me too. Me too. Well, today and next Sunday, I want to talk about managing money God's way and specifically seven practices of good stewardship with money. Okay, and today I'm actually going to talk about one of those practices. Next week, I'm going to talk about six. And I guess I, I kind of want to preface this message this way. Uh, how many of you know that, that God's word is truth? God's word is truth. And how many of you know that, that sometimes truth is confrontational? Okay, sometimes truth is confrontational. Sometimes truth can hurt, right? If we're living in contrast, if we're living in disobedience to God's word, then the truth can hurt, right? Because it's correction. How many of you have been corrected as a child? <laughs> okay. Um, and how many of you know that correction sometimes hurts? I feel that my, my parents had a firm belief in correction. I was corrected many, many, many times. And I can testify that it hurts sometimes. Right? Sometimes it's just gross. You ever had uh, soap shoved in your mouth before? I have. All right. Anyway, enough of my issues. I'm seeing the Lord about it. It's okay. Um, <clears throat> and, and so for, for some of us, because of that correction, even hearing the word money uh, from the pulpit uh, makes you cringe. That, that might be the case for some. You kind of like how 
when someone preaches about patience, it makes me cringe. <laughs> right? And for someone else, it might be the word forgive. Right? It, it just depends where we're at. And so I really believe that God's willing to hurt us sometimes with his truth uh, because he wants his children to live in the freedom and the joy of his truth. And for some of you, the topic of money is not freeing and it's not joyful, but it's stressful and it's fearful and it's frustrating. And I really believe God wants to change that for you. God wants to change that for you. And so what we need to do is we need to come into agreement with his truth, doing things his way and not our way. Amen. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for today. I, I thank you, Lord, for your presence here. I thank you for loving us, Lord. God, I just pray that we're going to hear your voice today. I just pray that we're going to respond to your truth today. We're going to respond to your word, to your voice today. That we're going to respond to the written word, but we're also going to respond to that rhema word, that, that specific word that the Holy Spirit is talking to each one of us today, no matter where we're at with you. No matter where we're at with stewardship or money, Holy Spirit wants to talk to us today, and I just pray that we're going to hear that voice and respond to that voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you know, the first thing we need to do before we even get into those, those seven practices of stewardship regarding money is we need to examine our hearts. We need to first examine our hearts because we can have some wrong attitudes regarding money that will never allow us to manage money God's way. Okay? So, so even if I, I you know, spew off these seven practices, they're not going to mean much to someone who's got some wrong heart attitudes about money to begin with. So we need a heart check first. And, and the main thing that we need to check for is who do you love more? Who do you love more? Do you love God more or do you love money more? And, and if we have a love of money, um, what, what that is, basically what I'm saying is you don't, you don't just have money, but money has you. And so we know in Scripture that's a problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Love of money, not money itself's not evil, but the love of money, absolutely. If money itself was the root of all kinds of evil, Satan would be backing up dump trucks of money on our front lawn. Okay? But money's not the problem. It's when we love money more than we love God. And if you love money, you can't manage money the way God wants us to because now we're not serving God, but we're serving Money. Money is your master if you have a love of money. And if, if money's your master, then God won't be. We know that through Scripture too. Matthew 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one 
and despise the other. You could not serve both God and money. So if you serve money, you can't serve God. You're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. Okay, so before we even get into what I want to preach about today, here's some indicators. Here's some indicators. If you love money, if you serve money. Here's the first one. These aren't in any order. But you're going to be touchy. And you're going to be resentful and even angry when someone tries to challenge you about how you manage your money. Especially if someone challenges you in giving. Right? And and some of you, as soon as I said the word money this morning, uh, there might have been a little bit of uh, uncomfortableness, maybe a little bit of touchiness. But if you serve money, selfishness is going to rule you and your money. And you're going to have like a literal death grip on your money. You're going to put a high value on material things. You're going to value accumulation. You're never going to be able to be content with what you have. Look at Ecclesiastes 5. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. If you serve money, you're going to store up treasures on earth, and you're going to be blinded to eternal realities. Okay, We all know this scripture, but we forget this, 1 Corinthians 6. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. That's an eternal reality. Right? But when we love money, when we serve money, it makes us forget that. Right? And we get that accumulation kind of thing happening. Storing up treasures on earth. If you serve money, you're going you're gonna to put your faith and comfort in money. Your peace is only going to be based on your bank account. Because you've bought into the promises that money makes that can't deliver on. Right? Money promises happiness and freedom and security, but we know that God is the only one who can provide those things. Money promises those things, but it can't deliver. Just like Judas, you're going to abandon your values and your principles and even your relationships for money. The love of money chokes out the word of God in your life. Look at Matthew chapter 13. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and what? The deceitfulness of wealth. Chokes it out, making it unfruitful. Serving money is going to begin to take away the power of God's word in your life. It's going to make the word of God unfruitful and unproductive for you. Okay, and here's the last one. If you serve money, you will begin to grieve the loss of your money when you have to give it away. Deuteronomy 15.10, you shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand to. Right? And so if, you are, if, if God's calling you to give money and you, you do it begrudgingly and then after you give it, you grieve the loss of that money. There's a heart issue there, 
right? We need to do that heart check there, okay? But if God is your master and not money, then generosity is going to rule you and your money, right? You're going to rely on Jehovah Jireh as your provider and not money. Your peace is going to be founded in God, whether you've got money or not. You'll store up treasures in heaven. Your money is going to serve him. And you're going to learn how to give joyfully. Joyfully. 2 Corinthians 9, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves us cheerful giver right if god is your master you can give money joyfully with a cheerful heart how many of you when it's time to give uh, to the lord when you get paid how many of you actually feel joy when you give to the lord don't be ashamed of that don't be ashamed of that okay that's awesome that's that's what it should be Right? Are you a pouty giver? Are you a big pouty baby giver? Are you or do you are you a cheerful giver? Which describes you? Who do you serve? So if you love and serve money, um, um, okay. I I took. (laughs) Hold on a second. I was changing my message this morning, and I didn't take this line out. This line doesn't make any sense now. So here's what I want to say. The first thing, the first thing you need to, that we need to do in order to be good stewards of money that God's entrusted to us is, is if you serve and love money, that, that we need to renounce money as our master, okay? And so I want to do that right now. I want to do it right now. If, if I was saying, uh, you know, as I was saying these things, these indicators of, of if you serve money and, and, you know, you're like, you know what, I think that's me. And your spouse has given you a couple elbows, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe we need to renounce money. Okay. And, and so I think we should do that right now. And I'm going to pray a prayer here. And, and this is a specific prayer um, that, that I've taken from... Uh, that book, um, Chain Breaker, is that what it's called? Neil T. Anderson, you guys know what I'm talking about. Bondage Breaker, there you go. And, and I just, I want us to pray this prayer. So I'm going to pray this prayer, and then I'm going to give, um, give you an opportunity to repeat after me. And, and, you know, quite frankly, I don't think there's any danger in any of us, all of us praying this prayer. I, I mean, it's just to make sure that we're renouncing money as our master. I think it's okay for us to do that. So if you feel comfortable, I'm going to invite you just to repeat this after me, but this is a prayer to the Lord. In the name of the true and living God, Jesus Christ, I renounce the worship of the false God of money. Lord, I confess I've been deceived by money and its promises. 
I thank you for your forgiveness. And I commit myself to only believing your truth. I choose to worship only you, Lord. I ask you, Father, to enable me to keep this area of money in its proper place in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're ready to start my sermon. It's only 11.23? Wow, we're doing great. Okay, here's the first. Here's the first of the seven practices of good stewardship concerning money. Bring the tithe. That's number one. Bring the tithe. We're going to turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. This, this whole book is about actually returning to God. Okay? This whole book. Malachi chapter 3 is about returning to God in our finances. Okay? Malachi is the last book there of the Old Testament right before Matthew in the New Testament if you're trying to find it. Okay? Malachi chapter 3 verses 6. We're going to start at verse 6. For I am the Lord... I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Okay? So God's saying, because I don't change, and because I love you, and because I've got grace for you, I'm not going to kill you. (laughs) Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances. You've not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So right away we see that this is God talking. Okay, and this portion of Scripture is instruction from God specifically about money and giving. Okay, and so the first thing God does to preface this portion of Scripture on giving is to say, I do not change. God has not changed regards to giving and money. God has not changed. From Genesis to Revelation, we know that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. His word has not changed. His character has not changed. His love for us has not changed. His plan of redemption did not change. And his ordinances have not changed. Okay? And so God said we've gone away from his ordinances regarding giving. And so when you see that word ordinances, I want you to think of the word ordinary. Ordinary. God's ordinary expectations of behavior from his people. That's what an ordinance is. So God says to his people, you've left my ordinary principles, my my normal, regular expectations of behavior regarding money and giving. Another way to say that might be God's standard of giving, God's ordinance. His standard of giving has not changed from Genesis to Revelation. I'm going to prove it to you, okay? So verse 8 tells us what specific ordinance they've gone away from. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. 
But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Okay? So the tithe, we know, is one-tenth. That word literally means one-tenth or 10%. Okay, Leviticus 27, and all the tithes of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So we're called to tithe. This is how we rob the Lord. It's in tithes and offerings. Okay? And so, so my wage as pastor of this church, um, as of uh, January, the, the start of this year, is, uh, was $50,000. Okay? $50,000. What's 10% of $50,000? $5,000, that's, that's the tithe. So, so understand, my total giving for the year is going to be no less than $5,000. That's the floor, right? That's the floor, okay? Um, that's the minimum. That's his, that's the Lord's, okay? That's the tithe. And please understand that my harvest is based on my giving, that my harvest is not based on your giving. And so sometimes, you know, you know, Pastor Brett starts talking about money. He's like, oh, I guess Pastor Brett needs to upgrade his car or something because he's talking about money again. <laughs> right? No. No. Whether, whether the church funds are depleted and everyone in this room stops giving, my harvest is still coming through because of my giving. Do you everyone understand that? It's not because of your giving. When you give, you're not patting my, my wallets, my wallet, right? Okay? And, and so the beautiful thing about the tithe is that it puts us on the same level. It puts us on the same level. So you're making a million dollars a year, and you give $100,000. Is that the tithe? Right? But then this other person who's making... $10,000 a year, and he gives $1,000, right? They've both given the same. They've both given 10%. Okay, God honors that giving the same. It's not about the amount. It's about giving the way that God says to. Okay, and I love that about God's way of giving because it doesn't put someone ahead of someone else. No one can brag and say, I gave this much money, right? Because if everyone's giving the tithe, it's the same. Offerings, I'm not going to really talk lots about offerings today, but offerings is anything that you give above that, that one-tenth, above that tithe. That would be considered an offering. Okay, So giving the tithes and offerings are one of God's ordinary principles that he expects every believer to participate in. So how do we rob God? According to this scripture, it's when we don't give our tithes and our offerings. Okay, and now right away, some, I, know, I know that some, some of you might be thinking, because many Christians choose not to tithe because they believe it's legalistic, they believe it's religious, they believe that tithing is part of the law of the Old Testament, okay? And now because we're in Jesus, we're not under that, that same law, so then it's okay that we don't tithe, okay? But, but here's what a lot of people don't understand. 
is that there's two systems of giving in the Bible. There's two systems of, of tithing in the Bible. The first, uh, one of them, I should say, is the Levitical tithe. That's the law of the Old Testament, right? There was, there was tithing under obligation to the law. That's why Israel was tithing, because they were obligated to because of the law. And that's correct. We don't give a tithe because of the law. We're not obligated because of the law, okay? Uh, but the first system of giving was, was to the order of Melchizedek. And this was 500 years before the law was established in the Old Testament. Okay, and if you look at Genesis chapter 14, it shows us that Abraham gave a tithe. He gave a tithe from the spoils of war to Melchizedek, the high priest, out of love and thanks. So this is Genesis 14, verses 18 to 20. And there was no established law of tithing at this point. He's only giving because he loves God, and he's expressing, God's, he's expressing thanks through God's ordinance of giving. He's under no obligation to tithe because of a law, but it's out of love and thanks. It's, it's out of love. It's a tithe of love. Okay? But why a tithe? Why a tithe? That's not random. That's God's ordinance. God's ordinary way of giving for his people was to tithe. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5 and 6 tells us that Jesus is the new high priest. But he's the high priest in the order of who? Melchizedek. Okay, he's not, out of, he's not high priest out of the Levitical tithing principles. He's not high priest out of the Levites. He's not high priest out of the law, but it's Melchizedek. So how are we supposed to give to Jesus today? It's the same system of tithing, but it's out of love. It's not out of obligation to Allah. How many of you know that Jesus is high priest forever? So this system of giving and tithing is forever. And then 2,500 years before the law, right? Abraham was 500 years, 2,500 years before the law. Abel gave a tithe to the Lord out of love, not an obligation to law. And that offering was accepted by God, right? Cain's uh, Cain, his brother, his offering wasn't a tithe, and he didn't have the right heart, and it wasn't accepted by God. But Abel had the right heart. Again, why a tithe? Is that just some random lucky thing that happened? No, that is God's ordinance. This is his way of giving um, for his people was to tithe. This is all throughout the Bible, including the New Testament. If Jesus told you to tithe, would you do it? In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders, right? And they're, they're bragging about how they're tithing, okay? And Jesus said, you ought to tithe. That is an expectation of you, that you will tithe, okay? But, but you're forgetting about some other things like justice and mercy and love and these other things, 
okay? So Jesus in Matthew 23, 23, he affirms the tithe. He affirms God's ordinance of giving, okay? If that was the only scripture in the Bible on tithing, it would be enough. I would tithe, okay? So there's these two systems of tithing. One's out of love. One's out of obligation to the law, but they're both tithing. So tithing is not uh, religious or legalistic. Regalistic. Is that a new word I just made? (laughs) But because we love Jesus, we obey God's word. It's obedience out of love. Amen? Okay. Let's move on to Malachi chapter 3. I just wanted to establish that for someone. Okay, Malachi chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. This is so important. It says, verse 9, you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So God's saying that when you don't tithe, when you, when you rob me of tithes and offerings, that your money comes under a curse. Okay? It doesn't say that God curses you. God doesn't want to do that. Okay? He doesn't want us to be cursed. But when we rob God... We voluntarily place our money under a curse. How many of you know we live in a cursed world? Okay, God wants to redeem your money, redeem your finances out from under the curse. Okay, and I really believe that that curse is the false God of money. That's the curse. Okay, it's also called the spirit of mammon. When we looked at Matthew chapter 6 earlier on, when it says you can't serve both God and money, how many of your translations said mammon? Okay, some of your translations say mammon. Well, mammon is that Aramaic word that means riches. But please understand, mammon is not money, but it's a spirit. It's a false god of riches that wants servants. Okay, it's a demonic spirit that's trying to replace God in people's lives. So mammon is a spirit that rests on our money. You either have the spirit of God on your money or the spirit of mammon. According to Matthew, Malachi 3, the only way to redeem your money and have the spirit of God and, is to give the first 10% and he redeems the rest. When we tithe, God redeems our money out from under the curse, out from under that spirit of mammon. And he, and, and he blesses the rest, and he protects the rest from the devourer. Okay? And so when you give your tithes and your offerings, that's what consecrates and blesses the rest of your money. This is a very important point, life point here, that I want all of us to get. 90% of money blessed by God will go much further than 100% of money that is cursed. Okay? So we can't be good stewards of money until we redeem it from the curse. Okay? Let's look at verse 10. Now try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. Room enough to receive it. So we are encouraged to test God in his ordinances of giving. 
okay? And there's really two tests, I think, that happen when we do this, okay? The first one, number one, we're testing God's system of giving, okay? We're, we're testing the, the giving, the tithes, and the offerings cheerfully. We're, we're testing the, the redeeming our money from the curse, seeing how far 90% of our, our money will go if, it, if it's been blessed and redeemed by God. We're testing, we're trusting God's economics, God's economics are different than our economics. Is that true? Right? God's economics uh, says, give me, give me two fish or seven bread or seven fish and two bread. I never remember what that is. And I'm going to give you 12 basketfuls left over. That's God's economics. Right? You give, it's going to be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's a principle of giving there. Right? It's in that scripture from Luke 6:38, that's it's talking about forgiveness. But there's a principle of, of giving there. Okay? So that's the first test when we give our tithe. The second test, though, is our faith. It's our faith. Right? We're, we're testing God. Do I really believe that God's going to provide? Do I really believe that He's going to supply for me when my car needs new brakes? When my kid needs new hockey skates. And now Christmas is, coming, the oven, Christmas is coming and the oven just broke. Do I trust God that he's my provider to give him the tithe and the offering when I really would love to fix the oven before Christmas? Right? That's the test. Every time we get paid, you take that test. Do you know that? Every time you get paid, you take that test. And the more you choose to test God and step out in faith, the more you come to understand this very important principle. Here's another life point. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Turn to your neighbor and say, You can't outgive God. I didn't say kiss your neighbor, I saw kissing. Turn, it's okay, Jen, you haven't been here in a while, I get it, it's okay. You're, you've been married a year, we get it, all right? That's going to be over soon, now listen. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, you neither. You can't give, or give God you neither. Okay. Um, <clears throat> How many of you could raise your hand and testify that that's a true statement? Wow. Wow. Amen. You can't outgive them. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10 says For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. God multiplies whatever we give. We can't outgive him. But the farmer has to give away the seed before he's going to get the harvest back. Um, one of my favorite stories uh, connected with this is, is about this, this one guy. He, he belonged to a, a church. He's a Christian man. And the church uh, said there's um, announced one Sunday that there is a, 
uh, big building project that they're going to be doing. And they asked everyone in the church, this is not a coincidence, <laughs> and they asked everyone in the church um, uh, to make a three-year commitment to give to this building project. And so uh, this man went home and he asked the Lord, God, what, what do you want me to commit to giving this building project? And he felt God tell him $50,000. And he said he actually laughed out loud <laughs> when he heard God say that. And so then he starts thinking about, okay, well, I mean, obviously this is going to be some kind of awesome miracle, he said, because I don't got $50,000. And, and so um, he's looking up at the sky, there's a plane going over his head, and, and he's looking up at the sky in his backyard, just kind of contemplating, man, how's God going to do this? This is going to be so cool. This is going to be amazing. I don't know how he's going to do it, but it's going to be amazing. And right away, he felt God correct him. And he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm not going to drop it out of the sky. He said, he said, go to your computer, get on your budget, and budget this $50,000 over the next three years. And so he said, okay. Uh, so he was obedient. He did that. And, and, of course, what happened is over those next three years, God blessed his business and his finances so much more than the $50,000 but three years later, fast forward three years later, it's the last day uh, for him to give the last check for this 50000 And then his commitment is done. And he gives it. He comes home. And there's a knock on the door. And there, he lives near an airport. And the representative from the airport is at the door. And the representative uh, says, you know, we just feel like... Uh, uh, your house is one of the houses that's really going to be in the, the, the flight plan of, of our planes, and we feel it's going to really affect the resale of your house. And he handed him a check, and guess how much it was for? $50,000. And then that point, he heard God's voice say, but I can drop it out of the sky if, you wa if I want to. We can't outgive God. We can't outgive him. You know, God doesn't play around with his words in Malachi, does he? There's only two things that we can do with the tithe. We give it, we steal it. That's it. I really believe that God is calling us into obedience as a church regarding our money and our giving. And it's time that we stop justifying our disobedience. You know, some, some people really believe this. They think, you know what? If I give enough money, that means I don't have to serve. Right? That's, that's what people think. They, if, if I give this much, I don't have to serve. And some people think the other way. They think if I serve enough, I don't have to give. How many of you know that we're called to both? <laughs> right? I tithe my time so I don't have to give. That's not biblical. Jesus was not washing feet so he didn't have to give. Okay? But we're called to both. And honestly, most people that say that aren't doing that anyway. Like, like there's 168 hours in a week. What's, what's a tithe? What's 10% of 168 hours? 
16 points, 17 hours. How many, there's not many people that serve 17 hours in a week on top of their full-time job, right? So, so, so a lot of people aren't doing that anyway. It's just a way that we try to justify disobedience. And, you know, for many Christians, it's not disobedience. It's just that they've never been taught the truth about giving. And, and you know, I think a lot of Christians, I think, believe that they're very generous in their giving. I, I kind of think it's like when Peter went to Jesus and he said, Jesus, how many times should we forgive another person? And, Jesus, and Peter's like, up to seven times? That's what I do, Jesus. I'm very generous in my forgiving. I think Peter thought that was very generous. Don't you? Seven times. That sounds generous to forgive someone, right? Until Jesus said 70 times seven. In other words, um, every time. Every time. Right? And, and if, so, so now Peter knows the truth. So now Peter goes in his life and he continues to only forgive seven times. <laughs> and, then, and then I went like this. If Peter only does seven times, you guys, seven times. Um, and then after that, he chooses to not forgive. He's not being generous. He's being what? Disobedient. He's being disobedient. Right? And, and so you're making 5000 uh, uh, dollars a month, and that means the tithe would be $500, but you are always giving $300, and that's not being generous. It, it might feel like you're being generous. And, and this is why I really believe that very few rich people tithe. This is my opinion. This is not in the Bible. <laughs> but I, I really do because let's say someone's making two million bucks a year. What's the tithe on $2 million? 200K, but they, they decide, I'm going to give the church $50,000. Listen, I'm going to be impressed by that. <laughs> but God's not. God's not. The, the pastor of the church might be impressed, but God's not. God doesn't think that's generous. God thinks that's disobedient, stealing. That's a better a little more harsh, but that's right. <laughs> but please hear this today. It's not about the amount. It's all about your heart. It's about doing things the way that God asks us to, his ordinances. Okay, how many of you know that God doesn't need your money? He doesn't need it. God walks, God walks on money. Right? He's got streets of gold where he lives. He doesn't need your money, but, but what he does want is your heart. He wants to make sure that you don't give your heart to money. He wants to make sure that money's not the God and the idol of your life, that, that you're not going to serve money because he knows that money can't give you what God the Father wants to give his kids. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, that wasn't too painful, was it? <laughs> wow, I get a clap? I never get a clap. This was the last topic I thought I'd get a clap. 
So I'm going to invite our worship team up. We start our service in, in worship. We're going to end our service in worship. And, uh, and let's, just, um, let's just respond to the voice of the Lord. Let's respond to whatever God's doing in your heart regarding uh, his, his word today. Amen? Uh, let's celebrate. Let's praise him.